Hello, Simon. Hello, mate. How are we doing? I'm all right, bud. Yeah, good, good. How's your day been today? Well, busy as usual, you know. Always what? something on, on the go, but there you go. Busy? Are you really busy? <laughs> well, you know, of course wow. I am. Wow. I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know rock star drummers are busy. Well, anyway. You know, there's always something to be done, isn't there? Well, talking of drummers, when yes. did you uh, meet or first get to know our first ge- our second guest of our second show? Well, when I was a very young drummer, although he's already challenging me on this, but anyway, when I was a very young drummer, there was another guy, and this was in Southwold, of course, a little town we lived oh, in. Oh, little hint there, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. And... There was this amazing guy who I was always very envious of because he was so damn good. And and that's who we've got tonight, actually. And his name is Mr Tim Marriott. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Tim Marriott. It's great to have you here, mate. Well, thank you for here. asking me. No, it's really good to have you here. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. So you're you know, a fool. Well, I can't help that, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start, you know, I just would like to, because there's so much we don't know about what you've been doing you know, in the past and, and obviously now. So I'd, I'd like to sort of start with a question about what, how did you get started, you know, your influences? Because I think you were, you were a Leicester lad originally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a long, long time ago, my dad, essentially, was a piano player and a very good one at that. And uh, music was always in the house, and I started playing piano. Realised very quickly I'd never be as good as him. Played violin. I got up to about grade four, grade five on both of them, and then uh, a mate of his popped round the house one day and said, "Oh, that lad of yours ought to play drums." So well, he bought me he a. Say, why did he say that to me? Don't know. Just he just he, he was a drummer himself. Played in all the local dance bands. I mean, oh, my dad I... knew everyone in Leicester. I mean, because he was so good. Uh, Put it this way, after the war, yeah, and Dad came out of the war service, he was demobbed Christmas going into 1948, married Mum in 53, and for those first five years when they were courting, for want of an old expression, Indeed. he was playing five nights a week at the Leicester Palais wow. in a band. Nice. Now, if I tell you what the band was, it was drums, trumpet, piano and alto. So no bass. No bass. No bass. Four-piece band. No vocals. Quite a relief, some yeah. people might say. Uh, well, I'm, uh, well, I personally wasn't going to say that. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but, yeah, so that was... The, the influences were there, and I suppose the influences in the music were already there because that was that's just what we talked about all the time. And yeah. he'd say one of his mates came round and had a cup of tea at the house and said, he ought to be playing drums. He looks, he looks like a drummer. As simple as that. Wow. So Dad bought me... So I was... How old was I? I think I'd just turned 13 in the November. And Dad bought me a snare drum for Christmas from Premier Drum Factory. Oh, very nice. Which is where I went to school opposite the factory, which is now Paper Chase or whatever it is in Leicester. But I, I, I went to school... Uh, right opposite the factory, and he bought me a snare drum a stand from there, and that was my Christmas present. So that would be 70, 73, going into 74, I reckon. Yeah. And then by the April, I was gigging. Really? Yeah. That's by soon. the April? What? what, what uh, the April, yeah, what, three, three months. Kit, you mean? Uh, no, I had a, by that time I had a snare drum, uh, I had a floor tom that I borrowed, I had a bass drum, and I had one multi-purpose cymbal and a set of hats, of course. And Perfect. that was it. And I'd gone out gigging, so I'd been given a couple of things. And I was cleaning cars, 
cutting grass, doing anything I could at home, earning 10, 20 pence a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and saving up, as soon as I'd saved up a ten, I used to say to my dad, right, take me down to uh, Drumbeat in Leicester, along the Melton Road, and I'd buy something. That was every every other week. Yeah. And I'd just put this kit together, beg steel to borrow it, and I was gigging in the April, playing... I will tell you this, because yeah, it, it always good. amuses me. <laughs> the very first gig I did without my father was with a band called the Burt Bays Orchestra. What a name. Which mm. the Burt Bays Orchestra, very famous in Leicester, which consisted of an organist and a... Uh, what's one of those things? Accordion? Uh, accordion player. Yeah. That was the orchestra. And a drummer. <laughs> and that was orchestra. the first... Yeah, that was the orchestra. Wow. Yeah, and the, just the three of us. And that was the first gig I did without my dad. But otherwise, just did the clubs in Leicester. So, obviously, your yeah. first gig was with your dad. Yeah, first gigs were with my dad, yeah. yeah. And what, uh, was that at the Palais, then? No, 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 that's uh, long gone. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, that that was long gone, uh, but it was... Uh, they were just in all the local clubs in Le- There was still a load of clubs in Leicester in those yeah, days. Yeah. So, you, yeah, I just cut my teeth doing that. That was it, simple as that. I was earning... That first year, I was earning a quid a gig. Wow. So That's I was quite a lot of money, so, actually. Uh, yeah, 70, 73, 74. Sorry, I mean... Sorry. So, yeah, 74, I was earning a quid a gig playing two or three times a week. Yeah, but you, you say you started to play the drums, but... How did you start to play the drums? Did you have like a few lessons? Nah. So you you just naturally just f- fell into it. Just you could it. just do it. I just did it. Yeah. And did you listen? Why, why listen am I not to other drummers? No. No. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's why you're so damn good. Yeah. I know. Well, just... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's really easy looking back. Yeah. You think of what you did and how you did it. Uh. Of course, there were influences as I got older and there was drummers that I admired and wanted to uh, nick stuff from. Oops. Uh, wanted to nick stuff from because yeah. you can't... You can't uh, all you can be known for is the way you play drums. You, but you can't uh, copyright a drum beat. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it, it is what it is because there, there aren't that many. It's just the order that you decide to do them in. Uh, that's how that, that's what playing drums is. So uh, I just listened to people, and when I got, I, I suppose, first biggest influence was uh, Queen Two. Yeah, great. Uh, mm-hmm. Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak oh, and Made in Japan by Deep Purple. Yeah. I suppose were the three albums that I still listen to to this day. Uh, the Lizzie ones, I always thought that I could, given the opportunity, I could probably be as good as Brian Downey in my early days. I see, I've subsequently know a lot better, of course, because he's bloody still bloody well, brilliant. Don't we all? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Pacey, Pacey was always out of reach because he was so good. Oh, well, Lester, I thought Lester he, boy as well. Isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was so good, and I, I, I just loved the band. But again, creative. But that's what he did. That's that's just what he did. It and again, if you if you listen to stuff by him, he learnt all that from being on the road. Yeah. He was good. Yeah. He'd done yeah. his practice. Yeah. But by sixteen, he stands by what he said. So if people know about you when you're sixteen, if you're that good, yeah. you'll be all right. Yeah. And everything else he's learnt on the road. Twenty one, twenty. He went on the road with Purple and he's been well, doing it ever since. I, I mean, in Japan, I mean, how old was he when he played on that? About 21, 20, 22. I mean, it's incredible. I know, it? well, it's, it's Amazing, it stands time, up today. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, 13-minute yeah. drum start. So, that Tim, if, you had, to, if yeah. you had to put your finger on Downey or Pace, who would you say? Oh, oh you can't. 
you're not going to commit. You're going to sit no, on that no, horrible absolute, fence. Abs- absolutely. There were there were there were people that I loved listening to. There weren't influences that I liked listening to them, and I still do. Yeah, right. Which okay. is because I, I I like what they do. I mean, if you're talking about influence, I mean, if uh, without being uh, risking to upset people, if if uh, if God had been a drummer, it would have been Buddy Rich because that man. There's never been anything like him, and never be, ever will be. Total freak of nature. People are trying to. There's an American. Have you heard that young lad, Grayson Necrutman? He's fant- he is fantastic. He is fantastic, uh, but he, he doesn't sound like Buddy Rich when he does the licks, does he? Not it? yet. Uh, I, I don't think he ever will. He's doing it note but, for note, tap for tap. Uh, beat for beat, whatever, and it's it's not. But Buddy Rich was doing it, sort of in 1934, you know, uh, as a Good. as an eight year old kid in vaudeville. Because Tim, this is something that fascinates me. Um, you know, you've just got this kit. You're you're there. You've got nobody to teach you. How did you start to break things down and analyse them? Because I, you know, from my my son, you know, when I watch him. You know, that's the one thing he's not able to do very easy. Yet you, you seem yeah, but, to have... uh, now. Okay, <laughs> so this is the self-taught drummer speaking. Uh, you don't break stuff down, otherwise you end up playing like somebody else. That's why. I mean, so you can. Yeah, but I have to interject there. You, you, you kind of. Your father was a pianist in a band, a professional he, musician. I was just so brought you, up with you, music. You, yeah, exactly. So you had a knowledge of music it's, and kind it, of how it, it works. It, but it's music. It, it, it's not. It's not a specific thing. It's a hobby. It's a love of music. That's all it is. It's just a love of music and something that you can do. People don't like doing stuff that they're rubbish at. None of us do. No, that's right. I'm so not. you don't practice at something like that you don't something. like or you're hopeless at, do you? You know, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> Because most you don't drummers want to play spend like anybody else. hours practicing. They practice their chops, their rudiments. Um, you, you're saying you haven't done any of that? No. Wow, that's unbelievable. No, I, I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't believe in it. No. There, what I believe in is you know what they are. Uh, right. This is something else. I on the way over here tonight. This is something else. I thought I ought, probably ought to drop into the conversation. I suppose after playing for a while, I was lucky enough that if I needed to learn something, I had good enough ears to know what it I didn't learn it beat for beat, but if I needed to learn something, I was good enough to learn it for the job in hand because right, yeah. I've got good ears. Hmm. Now, that's music. That's musical. You can't teach someone to have good ears. They either hear yeah, yeah. And, and know what's going on around them. Yeah, so you, you become a, a more of an accompanist, and I think that's what sets me apart. It, trust me, uh, and anyone, I will argue with anyone to uh, the end of time that I, my technique as such, if you want to break it down compared to anyone else, is rubbish. It's absolute rubbish, but I have a way of playing, and I always I stuck with it. I didn't want to change it. I didn't want to over. Was was when I like playing, when I like listening to myself, which is so conceited, it's horrendous. But when I like listening to myself, what do I want to change it for? What do I want to overcomplicate it? Get too technical for it? But I mean, right up to date, when we were doing the uh, tribute band uh, with John with the Blondie Band, uh, I just learned the parts. 
So I'm not saying I'm as good as Clem Burke. That's the last thing I'm saying, because he had another force of nature and still doing it, playing as well as ever and probably better than he's ever played. Yeah, he's fantastic. But I just, I just learned the parts. Yeah. I just, now, it's amazing what you can do with limited ability, whether it be technical, whatever it may be, if you know the stuff. Yeah. We were talking about how, how you sound with your band. It's amazing how a bass player and a drummer can lock together if they both know what they're supposed to be playing. It happens naturally. But bass players playing the right notes, if a drummer's keeping time, it's amazing what you can create. And the same with the rest of the band. But you're talking about drummers, essentially. You've got to have a little bit of... Uh, uh, something between the bass player to make it make it tick give it give it but some. i will say to him when you play um because you know, i've been, i've had the privilege of playing with both you guys and um you make life easy now i would want to say about you tim and, and we've known each other for a long while um it's probably as long as i've known simon what i would say about you is you make playing bass in a band and so does Simon, easy. And when I say that, because I do like to learn my stuff, despite what anyone will say, I do like to learn my stuff, but what you're very good at and what you um, inv is bringing people in, taking people out of a situation, you kind of take control, both of you do, but you especially, Tim, you, t you take control of that situation and everybody knows where they are because of what you're bringing, that force of nature, to that particular song. So when we were on the road together and we were playing with, with the Blondie and, and stuff that we've done over the years, I could just switch off, I could turn... Because I knew exactly what you were doing. Yeah. You and make that makes a, your life Yeah, it, it makes easy. people feel confident because he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Which is yeah. just kind of yeah. saying what you've... Well, in, yeah, but, enhancing but that's, what you're saying. That, that's, that's to... Uh, not contradict, but complement the point of what Simon was saying. So sometimes you have to, unless you are the perfect musician, I mean, who, you know, who would I say? I mean, uh, the people like, I don't want to start quoting names that no one's ever heard of, but, uh, but people like Peter Erskine, who's just a wonderful drummer. He's just been inducted in absolutely, the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. He's an absolutely wonderful drummer. He's been around for years, Steely Dan in the early days, and, I mean, just played with every absolutely everybody. And, of course, on that Steely Dan Live Across America, where he absolutely plays the pants off. Yeah, he's amazing. Unbelievable drummer. He says, he says he doesn't consider himself a doctor of anything. He's just a student of music of which there is never an end to. You never, ever stop learning. Uh, and absolutely. that's what... So that whether that's listening, whether that's writing, whether that's ranging, that's being in charge. But the better you know the stuff that you are about to play is makes it then easier for you so the easiest way for a drummer to do that is make sure he knows his stuff inside out but then you make sure you know the rest of the band stuff as well so if they want to go off i mean this is that's like whippet days with uh yeah. with with jake and lee now i always knew what lee was going to do because he did the same thing every night so it was on, on on bass but jake he didn't know what he was going to do because he didn't know it right he never knew anything because there was you can't you can't but teach that's blues, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it was, but you can't you can't tie someone like that down to knowing it that well. All you can do is go with him when he's on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he will then take you to places that you are not capable of, but he can't do that week in week out. 
So then when he's not in mood, you have to then yeah, yeah. Yeah. take him with you. Yeah. You then have to be... Yeah. So if he's, if, well, he's, yeah. if he's just not quite on it, you have to then make sure he is. Well, so an, then you have it, to replace that. There's an element of, uh, uh, you know, in, improvise, improvisation, obviously, as a musician. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you're talking about you learn your parts or whatever, you know what's... But what about on the improv side? I mean, do you just... Okay. <laughs> just go with it sometimes. No, no? No, no, it's not your style. So if the you know if the band the band's having a good night, the drummer lays off and let the band have a good night. Mm. Band's having a bad night, the band the drummer lays off even more to give them something solid to hang on to. Yeah, I and it's as simple and yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah, and then every so often, there's no such thing as a perfect gig. Uh, there's gigs when the band plays very well. Yes. And the band gets better and better and better all the time, uh, the more you play. But the, the perfect gig doesn't exist because there's always something. How many times have you been coming home from a gig and you what do you, you don't remember 99.9% of brilliance, do you? No. You remember 0.1% of, course. of a, a bass, I think we're all one bass drum beat out of place. Of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. that's what you do. So you, yeah. the perfect gig doesn't exist. But when your band plays well, you've been a part of that. And that's enough. That's yeah. enough as a musician. Well, when well, it plays badly, your job as a drummer, I always think, is to give them something solid to hang on to. Yeah. And that's it. And, and, that's, and when they're playing well, they need even something more solid to hang on to because they want to go anywhere and you just enjoy the, enjoy yeah. the journey with them. No, well, enjoy listening to them. Well, let's, let's just get back to a little bit to when you first started in Leicester. <laughs> And we want to know... You're not going to let this go, are you? No, we want, we want, <laughs> we want to know, you know, what was your next band after that and how did things progress? Because obviously we, you went on to, to bigger and better things as such. Well, didn't, we like to know how you got yeah, on to that. I didn't have one. I was, I was already a reading drummer before we moved to Southwold. Mm-hmm. So when did you move? What, when, what, when did you move to Southwold? Uh, just uh, a month before my 17th birthday. Oh, right, OK. So that would be... And why Southwold? Uh, my mother and father and my nana and grandpa, who also moved with us on my mother's side, he, my grandfather was an insurance agent. Okay. In East Anglia. And he used to, every one week in four, he'd be away. And he ended up in Lowestoft one night and he couldn't find anywhere to stay. He used to have a caravan, he used to cart a caravan round on the back of the car, obviously. And they said, oh, no, caravan site's full. Uh, if you go about 10 miles down the road, there's a caravan site at a place called Southwold. Yeah. Uh, and they'll let you park. It's when they used to let you park on the harbour overnight. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, it was, if the caravan site was full. And he just woke up and fell in love with the place. Ah. Came home, said to me, Dad, found a great place on the East Coast, boy. He said, must take the caravans there. Came up for a weekend. So the first time I ever came to Southwold, I was about five months old. Good Came Lord, east yeah. of 61. Right. And I was about five months old. Right. Uh, and then my dad just fell in love with the place and he said, I'm going to move here one day. And when he retired and I finished school, we did. Did your dad Perfect. carry on playing after he retired? Uh, he retired in 1974 in Leicester. Right. Uh, very luckily on a civil service pension, because ah. that's what he'd done, including his war service. So he got a 37-year cool. uh, pension with the, with the council in Leicester. He was the treasurer there. Yeah. And so that allowed him to then do his music professionally and until he, right. he retired. And then when you first moved to Southwold, were you playing... You, so at that point, your dad was not playing or he did play 
Because I know you did a stint at the right, Chroma, Chroma right. Pier, yeah? Most hor- yeah that, that can't be- oh, well. The most horrendous experience of my life, I would think... I was here tonight? <laughs> Apart from this, <laughs> it can't be that bad. <laughs> I, did, I did a summer season ah. right at the Sparrow's Nest Theatre in Lowestoft in 1978. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. And the show was Alan Randall, Joan Savage and Pete Sayers. Pizza was local. Yeah, the, the local. Yeah, yeah. Oh, unfortunately, yeah. long since gone, but he was very, very good. He was on the bill as well. On other stuff, a uh, four-piece band. Uh, was that a, in an orchestra pit then, Tim? Yeah, we were in the pit in the Sparrow's Nest in those days, yes. Now, we had... That was with the Bonnie Barron organisation. Good grief, that's a thousand years ago as well. But we got two weeks' rehearsal for it, so I thought, oh, this will be all right. I can learn I don't know all these people. Yeah, I mean, I'm only 17 and a half. You know, wow. obviously not knowing nothing. And anyway, part of that was they said, all right, what we do, we do a week's warm-up show down in Hastings. OK, cool. So mm-hmm. I had to get myself down to Hastings, and you have a bank call at 10 o'clock in the morning, and you do the show that night. Now, I thought Alan Randall just came along and did uh, George Formby impersonations. He doesn't. He's a jazz musician. Oh. Right. Uh, and he did his song, just follow me on the vibes. He said, it's a vibraphone. He said, just follow me on the vibes, I'll bring you in. And he does this, all the all the thing on the vibraphone like this, and he suddenly goes, right, you ready, boys? One, two, three, four. And you're in with a song called Ha Hi, the Moon. Right. At quicker, he said, just do a nice little light jazz on the bell of the cymbal. I couldn't play a two that quick. I couldn't play a straight two. Hmm. I just went umching, umching, umching all the way through, just bass drum and right hand. I couldn't keep up. Hmm. And that was, scared me to death. Absolutely. I was more nervous on that show than years later when we did the, when we did the Palladium. I was absolutely... Wow. That was the worst experience. Nerves, man. I couldn't... Mm. I, I could barely hold a stick. I was so nervous. Yeah. Well, um, but I was 17. I didn't know anything. I didn't, I, I didn't know anything. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I could play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that all comes I was a reader by then. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was a reading drummer because I'm a piano and violin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So... Uh, just to carry on from what you were saying about the Leicester thing, the when you're the the transition for what you do, uh, and, and when you want to be a musician is the fact that any musician should learn grade one and grade two on the piano. Any musician doesn't matter if you play piano; it doesn't make any difference. Of course, you're going to do that anyway. But any musician—I don't believe in grades in particular because I think you can either do it or you can't. But any musician who wants to do something with, with their music should learn grade one and grade two piano because it makes you musical and it teaches you so many basics that you mm. really I think always right stand you in yeah, good stead. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. Always stand right you there. in good stead. Yeah, yeah and of course the right. note values then as a as a reading musician, yeah. whatever. Whatever uh, a minimum, a, a crotchet, a quaver, whatever they are, dotted, tied notes, they're the same. Yeah. On any instrument. Yeah, yeah. On absolutely any instrument, and then you just learn all the different bits for playing drums. Hmm. So, um, so now you're up here and uh, you've just done the Sparrow's Nest. So, did you just carry on with shows then, Tim, or did you join a band, or <laughs> what happened from then on? You know the answer to this, uh, but I'll tell you anyway. So I had the uh, the. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I played in two really, really, really good bands, and I will give the people a mention because they were very good to me, and they were very good. First one was a band called Patchwork. Uh, it was Arthur, who now lives in Ireland, John Pickering, who lives in Lowestoft, who I'm still in touch with, and John Seppings on bass, yeah, yeah, who I'm still in touch with, and I played 
uh, in bands with him over the years. That was the first band. And then the second band, uh, which was a follow-up from that, was the Half Dead Live band. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they reformed that. John Seppings again. And that was John Seppings, but that was with the wonderful Buzz Hunt. Yeah, of and course. And Chris Reed. And Chris Reed, who I'm still in touch with as well. Uh, he lives just down the road in Sorry. Porringland, or just the other side of Porringland. And I, that was... They were... Ah, what a what a band they were, and Buzz, uh, probably everybody's hero of a musician. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 first I, I, time you heard Buzz, it made you want to play an instrument. Didn't matter whether you wanted to play guitar, he was just so good. Yeah. Absolutely blew my socks off, and that then led to uh, being with the Buster James Band for 14, 15 yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. In 1980 to 81, up to my 21st birthday. And you recorded yeah. an album. We did record an album uh, at uh, Elephant Studios in Wapping. Yep. And it was jolly good. If I say it myself, considering I wasn't allowed to use my own drum kit, right, yeah, I had to yeah. use a studio kit, which is yeah. a horrible tamer. And, and talking oh, of drum sorry, kits... Sorry, is that libelous? Talking <laughs> of drum kits, you, obviously at this time you had your own drums. I mean, did you have the Yamaha kit by then? No, 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 no. I didn't have that. I'm still my own drums then. Did you have a Premier kit? Yeah, the blue one, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I had the gold one before that. Did you? The lovely gold. Yeah, with Buster, I was still playing the gold one. I had a gold... It was that like a cloth wrap gold oh i saw a picture of one on uh premier doing a thing at the moment about old style drums and it, it was on there it was wonderful it was a lovely little kit just 20 inch bass drum yeah 14 inch uh oh. racked on and 16 inch floor that's all it was yeah uh and technical I bought, speak ladies and gentlemen technical <laughs> speak uh and then i later bought an 18 to go with it uh and that and that was it uh and that was what i was that was what i was doing so yeah i was i was i was gigging that kit and then i bought the blue one which yeah, was yeah. the old concert tom kit right yeah yeah i remember uh, that one. and then suddenly realized what my cart in this thing around for because it was far too big uh and then <laughs> how i got hold am i allowed to say trade names on this yeah yeah and then i was uh doing a lot of touring at the time i'd got in i was playing with back to your question was i'd got in playing with some shows doing a lot of touring playing with Oh. That's how you met Tracy, didn't you, in a, in a theatre? Uh, well, no, she was touring as well, but, uh, okay. yes, uh, I, this was, yeah, this was just before that. Before oh, met, okay. Just before I met Tracy, I was doing all this touring stuff, so, so I got this useless old car, so I bought a new car, and then I went up to, was it, was it Batley Varieties, or it was somewhere like that, and we had to play the house kit, Right. Yeah. and the bloke had got a cherry red uh, Yamaha 9000 in there, and I played it, and I thought, I want one. <laughs> so I sold the car that I'd gotten a loan and didn't tell the bank that I'd sold the car that I got the loan you for. You have now. And used the money to buy, to put down as a deposit on the Yamaha kit from uh, Doncaster. Paul at uh, Electro Music in Doncaster, which shut last year, which I was gutted about. Right, OK. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd been in touch with all this time. Yeah, Paul. Paul from, And that's where the kit came from. I had to order it. Yeah, a special order. No shell packs with the nine thousand kits in those days. You ordered each drum, oh, what you wanted. Yeah. So yeah, how, you couldn't, you couldn't buy a shell pack. What year would that be? That, that was eighty eight. Eighty eight. Wow! Wow! Got, got the kit in eighty nine. All right, Tim. We're we're talking about your career now. We're into the nineties, ninety four, I believe, and you worked with Rod Clark. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was uh, recently married and. Uh, first child was born, young Georgie, and hadn't, hadn't been playing much. 
obviously just bought a house and I was a postman. And Rod Clark of uh, Kessingland fame and everywhere else fame in his own mind uh, rang me up and said, I've been let down by my drummer on New Year's Eve. Can you come and do it? And I said, yeah, OK. I, 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 I knew him and I'd done one gig with him for Trace and I were married at the Foxborough. Okay, I'd, yeah, done, I'd yeah. done, a, done a gig with him there. So I knew him and then heard nothing of him for a year or more. Then he said, oh, yeah, my drum, drummer's left me. Can you come and do New Year's Eve? I said, yeah, where is it? He said, Bakefield Pontins. I said, yeah, okay, there. So we're supporting Lee Vasey. So at quarter to 12, right. we were done. Yeah. Lee took over at just gone 12 o'clock. Uh, I packed my gear away and went home. And he rang me up a couple of days later and said, uh, oh, it's great gig, Tim. Do you want to become a full-time roller coaster boy? So I joined the band, and that was my regular gig for about the next 16 years. Which nice. is so well, my children were young. Yeah. But we were doing 100 gigs a year. So nice. we, were do we were doing two two a week, uh, I think, uh, on average, at Hemsby. I mean, some some weeks we were doing four, and then other weeks we were obviously doing one. Yeah, sort yeah. Of off -season. But during the summer, we were doing three or four week, and some good musicians played with that band. Yeah, yeah. Steve Simpson, uh, Slim Chance, as is now. Uh, great Steve player, Simpson. Graham Walker. Yeah, Graham, who, awesome. Who's the first, player, first guitarist I knew with a Fender B-Bember. Fender B Bender, yeah, fantastic. So that was a real joy playing with him, and I'm doing his 80th birthday party next week. Brilliant. Wow. How did the Whippet days and how did that all come about? Because um, well, that was uh, I'd been with Lee in a band called Private Eye. Yes, yeah. In the 80s, yeah. Uh, with uh, Nick Howard, yeah, again, Jane. Jane, of course, and you did a couple of depths after... Yeah. Andy Parker. Yeah, and Andy Parker from Kesselund, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you did a couple of depths did, uh, yeah. when Lee was being Lee. Uh, and we decided to form uh, a little... He said, he, he came to me one day, he said, Tim, Tim, he said, I found this guitarist. But I must say, the original drummer was Gary Woods. God rest his soul. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Yes, now, they, yes, were, they were a blues band. Gary's a great player and a great singer. Mm. Yes. And a lovely bloke. Lovely man, And they have got this little band together, and they were doing okay, but Jake was a bit fed up, but a good player. Yeah. And they said, uh, and Lee said, I only know one drummer who can, who can do this. And I said, Tim will be perfect for this. I know he's not doing much at the moment. See if he's interested. So he rang me up, told me all about it. I didn't know Jake at all. No. Never met him in my life before. Turned up for a rehearsal at Bram uh, Barnby Village Hall. Oh. And at the time, we had six fags between us. Uh, <laughs> Jake walked in with a beaten-up old boogie cab and some guitar that he put together that day that nothing belonged to anything. And he said, I don't know whether it'll hold out for the gig. And he said, but unfortunately, and he, he turned up and he got his gear stick in his hand that had just fell off his Mark <laughs> II Cortina or whatever it was. <laughs> and so we sat down, had a smoke, said, right, what we learned. And we went through half a dozen songs and there was a little piece of magic there. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Good uh, band. Good, uh, good we weren't everyone's cup of tea, but no one could say we weren't good at what we did. No, they were great. But great band. before we finish on this one, I have to say, I will always stick up for Lee. He made us rehearse every week, and it showed when we did a gig. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That makes an awful lot of difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, well, obviously, you were playing with the Buster Jane's band, so... Um,
you said you had like a 15 months in that band yeah something, so, so what some, happened some, what yeah something that? like that so yeah. uh we went there to, I, I did them they wanted to do the album so i went straight in and did the album then did what existing gigs they got and they never gig very often uh and it was difficult because quite rightly they were all a bit older than me so at that time bass player was chris warns just got a job as a manager with curry's Right, newly okay, married yeah. yeah okay fair enough roger week on week off on the rigs or two weeks on two weeks off on yeah. the rig good job young family and quite right too alan jones well i don't actually know what to say about him because he was completely and utterly off the wall but a very talented guitarist never did know what quite happened to him uh and of course dick yeah. young who's with them to this day yeah yeah very 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 talented guy lovely pianist and they were writing this stuff and it was great i had a whale of a time but they were all doing other stuff but the opportunities were there to do something with that album i don't actually know why they recorded it because they never did anything with it it was really good and we all played really well and the songs were great and i said to you on the phone when i was talking to you yeah, last yeah. about western heart they're yep. still doing still it to this day. Today, now, yeah, this is yeah. 1980 we record this album, so we're talking 42 years. Yeah. And they're still doing the song, slightly different version, but the song's still good. Uh, but I will stand by the fact that no one ever played it like me. Just a real, sh really nice swingy shuffle. And the original recording, unmixed, is the only one I've got, and it's great. It's brilliant. So I knew if they weren't going to do anything with it, and they weren't going to go anywhere, for all the right reasons, I don't blame them, that was probably the chance gone. So I was a twenty-one-year-old kid, and that and that's it. So, the chance, chance was gone, so I so, left. So that the album which you recorded, that was like a self-finance thing, or yeah, never, yeah. never released. So they, never they did were hoping. Were they hoping to get a record deal at the time? Or uh, they thought they were better than they were. Right. They were still living off the fact that they were a really good band when they were Crow. Mm. which they were and they were a great band as buster james but they never because as we all know it's not always the best musicians or the best bands or some... the best song who get on it's just something you've got to have drive yeah you so got, maybe they had too much going on someone's yeah. got to want to do it and yeah. i say, say yeah. for all the right reasons yeah. and you can't play once every two months and expect people to come to you no, even in those days they weren't that good that people were going to say oh please come and play here please record an album yeah. we'll throw all this money at you they were never going to do it and yeah. you know roger was earning really good money yeah yeah uh, and quite rightly put his family first as i as i would do and we yeah. always yeah all, of course all of us have, you know yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the way so, where so then you, after that because yeah, yeah. i was playing in original bands uh i teamed up with uh another mate of mine nick howard from southwold well this is where we have a little bit of a link here because we've both played with nick howard in a different well, band i have as well well yeah. actually cool, yeah, yeah i forgot you had yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, you've yeah. done it too so yeah, carry on. Uh, yeah, well, uh, Nick. Di uh, it was a meeting of two very strong wills there, but Nick was the creative one uh, in the band, and he would have his way. Uh, Is that which... when he had that studio in Pier Avenue? Well, he lived in Pier well, Avenue. Above, above his father's house. Remember I know he's above a rented house. But oh, I'll right. Okay, I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. Uh, so anyway, they were writing all this stuff, and Nick Ooh, was writing, and, and Gary good talented bass player gary he now lives in germany he's had a very successful career out there done really well i saw him came to a blondie gig did that he? we did at uh southwold in st felix 
He turned, he really? yeah, he turned up at that gig. He was home for the weekend. And he never came and said hello. Yeah, he turned up at that gig. Good bass man, now yeah, good keyboard player, right? And he's been in Germany for thirty odd years. Been living out there, right? Yeah. And that was a good little band. We were writing stuff, and we we went and recorded half a dozen tracks, and we did the London thing, trying well, to get. Where, where did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Record those songs? Uh, Vine Street. Vine okay. Street Studios in London. And we did the London thing, trying to ply them, and they said, oh, you're, you're too... You're too clever. You're trying to be too clever. What you've got to do is imagine someone going up the M1 in a single-speaker mono radio in a Mark II Cortina with the window open, and they still need to hear what you're doing, not all the clever notes and all the quick guitar solos. He said, you're too clever what you're doing. It's too out of time. There's too many stops. He said, it doesn't flow. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, hey, fairly normal stuff. This is 82. So, well, you know that single Nick had, though, which you played on, Simon? It, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that got some John Peel plays, didn't yeah. it? From what I remember, is no. that right? I honestly don't remember it was, about that, but it um, was the, I know it did a signal. Yeah, it did, and he got on a few jukeboxes. Uh, uh, I heard it on several jukeboxes when they were still in pubs in those days. Yeah, I'd long gone by then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd, uh, you know, I'd, I'd gone on to other things. I'd, I'd made my mind up. Uh, but <laughs> we did some home recording, as we all did in the early 80s. Uh, and Nick had got his little eight-track studio yeah, yeah, yeah. set up in his I house yeah, I remember that. Uh, opposite South Old Primary School. Right. But his house was one room over three storeys. So it was one room downstairs and a small kitchen and a bedroom and a bathroom on the middle floor and then a bedroom on the top floor and a little either airing cupboard where the uh, immersion was, or I don't know, something like that. But quite, quite a small... Quite a small house. It was an old big house, split mm. into two, just these rooms. So I had to record my drums for our home recording on the middle floor. Nick was on the top floor, so the, the vibration of the drums didn't come down. But, of course, there was no talk back. Right. So I recorded six <laughs> tracks from memory. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Including Radar Love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I recorded it from memory. I'll play which that Which when we were saying earlier about knowing your stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I counted it and I went, and just started playing it. Played the whole song from memory, quiet bits, loud is, bits, I've ending got to bits. Say, that's no mean feat. No, that uh, isn't. that's not an easy song. And it, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I always remember it. Was quite interesting. Interesting. I digest it. I remember when I played that with Private Ovi. Yeah. I played I love, and that was that. In, that, that that's that middle section. Go that middle section. I thought that. Person, I think he'll say something really, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He told me not to swear, and he nearly yeah, did. Then, nearly yeah. did. But you nailed that. that yeah, middle that's, section. That, that's yeah. That's not. That's not as it sounds. Again, that's. But that's back to uh, being lucky enough to have good enough ears to be able to learn. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily technically how he plays it, but to be able to adapt it to how you play. Yeah. To make it sound yeah, as yeah. though you're doing what they did. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about that, I mean, those Bonham triplets at speed, they're a nightmare to play. They're an absolute nightmare to play. So what you adapt, you can't make them sound like John Bonham. Everyone knows what he's doing. You can do it. Everyone can do it slow, but you can't make it sound like him. So you adapt it to what you're capable of. Hmm. And, and, and if that's technique, I don't call that technique. I just call that learning something. When you right, need yeah, it, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Technique is being able to do paradiddles at five thousand miles an hour, which I can't do them at five miles an hour because I well, don't use them. Can you, Simon? 
Yes, he well, can, because I've seen him well, do it, and if he tries to deny it, I'll hit him. I don't <laughs> I don't really use them as a general but rule. You, but you can do them, can't you? I can do them. Yeah, but, there you go. Yeah, but not... I've seen you do them. Ah, well, there you go. So, we know you got from Nick, and then, obviously, that you decided to uh, move on and do something else. So, how did the... Because we all know you've worked for Dolly, God rest him. Um... How did that come about, the Ken Dodd thing? And then I know you went to play at the Palladium and all that. I would love right, to hear okay. those stories. Uh, Tell me all about that. Right, so uh, all through this time in the 80s, this is when I was doing Chroma Pier. Right, OK, yeah. So Dad, Dad and I... Dad MD, though? Yeah, well, yeah. my mother was, um, as she used to say, wife and mother of the orchestra because the band <laughs> was me and my father. <laughs> Him on piano... yes piano and me on drums now the interesting thing about that was that i sat directly behind him i had no eye contact with him for the entire show at all right. so we did everything on the nod or by father and son intuition so that then teaches you an awful lot as well so because when i first went to chroma the first season i did there was 1980 so i'm only 20 so i was doing this with the buster james thing as well yeah yeah so i'd i'd already started a slightly different career and I was adapting my playing to this to the accompanying style and so I was doing all these things I'm, again he's my dad but the joy of listening to him play six nights a week for 12 weeks every summer was unbelievable he was a fabulous fabulous player I mean he, he taught me everything I needed to know musically other than actually physically to play the drums so we, we were doing all this stuff and he was getting close to wanting to pack up and so when we finished at Chroma, it was 87. Right, OK. It was our last season we did, and he was 66 during that summer. Mm. And he said, this will be the last one. Now, lead, on the lead-up to that, uh, all the winters, the three previous winters, I'd, I'd been on the road. I was touring with just travelling shows. Yeah, yeah. So I was going away for weeks here, playing for old-time musicals. I mean... Were they all reading gigs? Uh, all reading all gigs. Yeah. And I was playing from growing up in a house of music and variety and vaudeville and stuff like that. I was growing up... I was playing with my heroes. I did a week's old-time musical with Sandy Powell. Now, not a lot of people know that. He was an old, old man. I'm 23, 24 years old. And on comes this bloke who's one of the biggest musical and film stars uh before and after the war i mean he, he was huge and it was you know i was in awe of stuff like that and still am still mm. am i still i love all that stuff i love to listen to it i love to read about it and i love to uh, uh you know uh, go on youtube and see old clips of all this stuff yeah, yeah, it's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. youtube's yeah. brilliant i hate technology but youtube's the best thing ever uh so my my style of playing was changing and my my musical interests were they were changing Hmm. and I didn't want to do all that stuff, and I was enjoying touring, and it was great, and I was having a good time. So I used to take my drums in the back of my car and my golf clubs, and if I was away for a week and I knew there was a decent golf course, I'd go and play a bit of golf and <laughs> yeah. find a place to play, and travel lodges were only seventeen ninety nine a night in those days, so they'd give you 20 quid stay-out allowance, so, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, that cool. was fine. Uh, and I was just having a good time, and I started playing for a show, and the agent... <laughs> fella called Keith McAndrews and his wife Barbara from Preston 
and he was an old musical act, and they were uh, McAndrews and Mills, the fastest feet in the business. <laughs> Boy wonder tap dancer. I can remember it like a, I actually saw I actually saw him do this act. I mean, he was a good tap dancer. He was a good tap dancer. Very very dodgy wig. Right. Uh, oh uh, no. Bad syrup. But a really really nice guy, and he was doing less and less work, and he moved to an agent. He was starting to become an agent based in Preston. And he was travelling to London one day on the train and Doddy was uh, in the same carriage. And they just got talking and they hit it off. And uh, Doddy was saying, oh, I haven't got much work. He said, the telly's, you know, I've gone and done all my best material on the telly. He said, I want to get back on the road. And so this Keith McAndrews said to him, uh, he said, well, I'll, I'll get you some gigs if you want. He said, well, how much are you going to charge me? Hmm. <laughs> uh, so they came up to uh, some sort of uh, percentage that the agent was going to charge. And he got him some work, and he needed a drummer. Right, yeah. And I'd been playing for his shows, and he said, oh, I've got a cracking little drummer. So uh, he said, I'll give him a ring, see if he can do him. So the first two yeah. I did were the Spa in Felixstowe. Spa, right, yeah. Theatre yeah, in Felixstowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Ipswich Regent. Two, you know, two very small gigs, you know, just to go in. And did those two first, and then... I had a bit of a break while he was just sort of getting used to it. And then I went back and did a couple more, Gordon Craig in Stevenage, which he was late for. And I went on cold in that, just put the, he hadn't got music for everything. I just went in cold and just did it. And he said, he said, oh, you're all right. He said, I like you. He said, uh, uh, do you want to, you know, he said, do you want to do some more gigs? <coughs> Excuse me. And I said, I've got my last summer season coming up with my dad. So when I first started working in end of 86, going into 87, mm. I said, and I'm going to do it because it's his last. I said, and it's my father. So I said, if I lose the job, I said, you know, I'm still going to do the season with my dad. Uh, but it's as simple as that. It's family. I said, no, that's fine. He said, when do you finish? And I said, I think it's something like September the 12th, some 13th, something like that. He said, all right, well, I'll see you before then. But he said, I'll give you a ring and tell you where you are. And I said, oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway. That was that thought. Thought nothing more of it. And thought, yeah. oh, I've done. Yeah, done. He was dozen, very. He was obviously very do, tickled. Yeah, doesn't. Uh, yes, <laughs> he was, Mrs. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, he then rang the theatre up on the last week and uh, said, "Oh, is Tim there?" Uh, so they came and found me. Could no mobile phones. Of course, he came. I found the phone and I said, "Yeah, I rang him." And he said, uh, "He said you finish on Saturday." I said, "He said, yeah, yeah, that's right." He said, "Yeah, Keith, the agent, told me you were finishing." He said. Uh, he said, are you free the week after? And I, and I said, yeah. He said, right. Uh, he said, well, on the Wednesday, we're in, well, I think it was somewhere, uh, was it Mayflower Theatre in Southampton? Something like that. Uh, and he said, uh, we've got about three weeks' work. He said, so bring a suitcase, bring your drums and bring a suitcase. He said, will you have anywhere to stay? And I said, well, I've got family in Leicester and friends uh, elsewhere. Uh, and I said, and... Uh, I've got some people I know and he said well he said don't worry we'll sort it out I'll send you a list of dates and he sent me a date sheet and there was for the next five years I was doing apart from one little incident I was <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, we must refer we must uh, Tim you got to tell uh, me that yeah, story uh, again about uh, the, and oh. apart from apart from a few months off <laughs> uh, I was doing between five and six nights a week Someone, something, something like that, and playing for some great acts, and all that time, of course, he was, you know, and that's that's when we did the, the wonderful Palladium. Yeah. Mm. How long were you there, Tim? I can't remember what you tell me. What the Palladium itself? Yeah. Six weeks. 
So, so Tim, we, we were talking about playing at the Palladium because I've, I've actually never done a gig like that. So it's interesting to me about when you're doing a gig like that, the gig like that, the sound, the sound like you, you're like on stage or in the pit or whatever. I mean, did you have monitoring and, and what what was going on in those days? Right. So 1990, after his little uh, uh, holiday, when I have to mention. When he was in court, it's when I did a, a summer season. I managed to pick up a summer season, and I met Chase. Oh, ah, that, was the, that, that was when I met her. So yeah. talk about by chance. So we did you a favour, really? <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. he did. So I, I, I met him. <laughs> I met. Uh, he then he was said, "I don't know if I'm going to have any work. I don't know if I'm going to want to work. I don't know if I'm going to be free to work." That's what he said to me. Hmm. So he said, go off and do what you do. We'll sort it out once I know what's happening. So I got this summer season in Landedo, and Chase was one of the dancers. And that's when I met him. Of course, that was 1989. Wow. So, and then the rest, as far as yeah, yeah. Uh, me and her are concerned, is history, of course, because yeah, yeah. we're, uh, we're still there. We're still Lovely. doing Lovely. what we're doing, so, yeah, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Uh, so when he came back... He said, yeah, I want to work. Of course, he's flavour of the month, isn't he? Everyone wants him. Everyone yeah, wants him yeah, to work everywhere. So they came to him and they just said, oh, come back and do a, a limited season. It won't be an extended season. Come back and do a limited season at the Palladium. So we're doing radio. I mean, I must have done 30 radio broadcasts with him, which were just a hoot, which were which were great. They were really interesting to do as well. And uh, this is your life, Tim. I remember, and, I remember watching the television. Yeah. That's <coughs> That's Tim on this is you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we did. So we did the This Is Your Life, and then of course the Palladium. Uh, and he was extremely loyal uh, to the the band at the time. Uh, I mean, there was only three or four of us who toured with him regularly after the court case. Uh, it, it was a duo before that, and then it came down to a trio later on. But there were four of us. And he was—he he got us all the Palladium, and one of the piano players, uh, who was his MD, uh, he then did the fixing for the band because he knew enough people. Uh, and it looked nicely enough. I'm still in touch with him as well. Great. When yeah. you say loyalty, <clears throat> are you he insisted on his boys being in in the Palladium? Uh, he ah. said, "I said I want my four lads in in, in there because he said they've done all the hard work to get me here. They stuck with me." He said, I want them here. Well, that's great. And he said, mm. I want a friendly face to look down in the pit, mm. uh, which was me, actually, because the others didn't pay any attention at all. But I sat right in the middle, and I used to prompt him when he forgot where he was. Right. Yeah, Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. He used to look down at me and say, where are we, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said and I, honestly, this is nowhere like. He said, where are we? I said, good evening. He yeah. said, no, we did that two and a half hours ago. <laughs> and that's how we got back into where he was. Ah, so I used to prompt him. Fantastic. Like because yeah. I knew, again, getting back to what we were saying earlier, I knew his stuff as well as I knew what I'd got to do. Did you still yeah. laugh at his jokes? Every night. Yeah. Every night without fail. He floored me every night. Absolutely. Funny man. Funny man. Funny, 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 funny man. Yeah, so the Palladium, from a drummer's point of view, so you just turn up there. So <laughs> Monday morning, you turn up at 10 o'clock, you put your gear in, and we opened Monday night to the press and Tuesday night to the public for the full show. You have the Brian Rogers dancers, who were the 
big he yeah, was the yeah, big yeah, name yeah, still yeah. Um, he still is uh, or his, his agency is and stuff like that and then be an act on who they, we had there oh first act on the Flying Williams brothers <laughs> tap dancers Good from man. America amazing eh I mean yeah. I, oh yeah. and it, you know, they just used to walk on stage and they'd just start tapping him they'd say Tim just give me a nice easy four he said let's play some let's play some swing and they just start playing away and they just make it up yeah. It was it was great, and then yeah. they do the 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 rest of their act. But that's how they came on. Um, it was just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Then we had uh, a magician. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> I talk about discipline. The discipline of the musician. He did Ravel's Bolero from start to finish, yeah. right to click. In them days. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I, I done click with. Uh, I, I just turned up for a. Uh, a panto gig with Doddy in 1988, I think, and stuff was on click. That's it. You, they just put the earphones on. You just had to play it. You just did it. Yeah. Didn't warm. You, you just did it. So to click. So if you mess the click up, you mess his entire act up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because somebody he beheaded himself at the end of the act and then just walked on and said, hello, uh, thank you very much, and walked off. Yeah. And that was that was the act. But uh, however long, I can't even remember how long Ravel's Bolero is now. But the... As it is, as the Torval and Dean thing, yeah. exactly as that, playing to click, reading every bar. Now, that was a little bit of discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that yeah, was interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then he came on, closed the first half and all the Diddy Men stuff and all that, and then he'd come on and he'd uh, one more act, who was the most difficult read of the show, which was a brilliant act called Stutz Bearcats. They were like the English version of Manhattan Transfer, okay. but a bit more jazzy. And their parts were swine, absolute swine. But they were good, good, lovely act to play for. Hmm. But they're real difficult read. Yeah. And then he came on and. So you played for the, the whole. Oh, we played for the whole show. Yeah, the band played for the whole show. Wow. So the Palladium, you know, just tell us what it's like to play. It's that the greatest game. experience for a gigging musician that you can ever wish for. Hmm. Not only, not only because you're there. I mean, if 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 you like. If you like going to the theatre, do not get too old without going to the Palladium to see something. You have to go there. It's like nowhere else you have ever been in your life. To play there, there's an element of, yes, this is this is it. As a gigging musician, it doesn't get any better than that. But to do six weeks there and the telly show afterwards... And to meet people like Harold Fisher, who was in... When we did the telly show, he was in the big band with all the Thames television boys and all that. We still play for Dot. We just play for Doddy. Mm. Again, Doddy insisted on us. So I've got there... Again, talking about click tracks, so we go into the studio and pre-record some of the stuff that they wanted done. So I'm playing, and there's Harold, Harold Fisher, tapping out on a wood block, tapping, doing the... Uh, no no click he's not giving it to me because it, it didn't really exist he's, he's just doing his perfect time on a wood block keeping me in time oh, just make sure you know it was in the early days just, yeah. but you just go in and just do it it's say yeah. 10 o'clock and that night we opened on the Monday morning that night we opened for the press yeah the whole show opened was there many press in there then too? oh the press was heaving yeah yeah, yeah of course the press, press was in there's barely a seat to be had for six weeks and uh, how long yeah. was the show every night? The show was... <laughs> they had to drag him off one night because he was going on a little bit, but that they, he'd got to be... He was constrained two but times at the Palladium because of uh, 
people getting out yeah. and transport home in London at that time of night. So it was constrained. So we were done no later than 20 to 11. Right, okay. Um, yeah. so it should have been half past 10, but it was 20 to 11, I think it was the latest. Hmm. So that allowed me a quick pint before I went home, and then I just got the tube, and I was staying with some friends in Stanmore. Right, so okay. I got the last tube home. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can remember when we were on the road and we were chatting to him, I can remember you telling me a story of um, uh, when you sneaked him <laughs> out of his house in the back of your Granada. Oh, blimey. You've got a good memory there, John. <laughs> He does have a good memory. Right, yeah, the story. <laughs> Very funny. Very funny. We were in uh, Patheli. I nearly can't, I can't say it right because I always call it Peely Wheely because that's how it's spelt. But we were in Patheli at Butlins. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the story had just broken about him going to court. And the press are outside his house. So he said, uh, he said uh, oh, we've got to do this gig. He said, I'm not letting it down. He said, just come to the house. And he said, uh, uh just park outside. He said, the press will do it. He said, don't say anything. He said, what time do you think you'll be here? And I said, well, I'll try and be, I'll wait up the road. I said, give it half an hour extra. I said, I'll be here at such and such a time. I'll pull up the gate. He said, we'll come and let you in. This is Naughty Ash, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. So, Julie did that. We went in the house. He said, how are we going to get out of this place? He said, well, I've got, I've got this gig to do. So I said, <laughs> it was my idea, which I will take credit for it. So, my four Granada, I've got the bass drum and my floor tom on the back seat. And I used to put a, a tartan rug over them hmm. so they didn't look immediately like drums. You know, worried about them being nicked or whatever, stuff like that. So I said, well, if we take the uh, bass drum out, put it in your car, I said, you can sit under the rug. I said, so long as you tell me where to go. I said, you sit under the rug. They'll still think it's a bass drum. I'm, I'm just a drummer who's turned up. I said, and then Annie can leave later and... Uh, they'll just be about, and you won't be there, and they'll wonder where you've gone. Hmm. So I said, good idea, Timmer, good idea. So anyway, we snuck him in the back of the car, put the rug over him. He was tickled again. So I'm, so I'm driving through Liverpool, not knowing where I am, and he's going, take the next right. Where are we? Where's Marks and Spencer's? I said, just coming up on the left. He said, all right, take the next left. And he took me all the way through, and I followed the coast road <laughs> all the way down, and we got, after about half an hour, he said, can you see anyone, any cars that you recognise? I said, no, not at all. He said, right, get this stupid rug off me. Uh, so we moved stuff around. He came and sat in the front because yeah. he was in the back seat. Hmm. He came and sat in the front and we drove to Patheli and did the gig. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah. Doddy under a rug, under a yeah. tartan rug oh, in the back of my Granada. Fantastic. Yeah. What a great yeah, story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a great story. Yeah, good story that was, yeah. So, yeah, you, when, um, so when you left then, Tim, and, uh, in the sort of early 90s, and then you came back, like you said, you got married to Trace, um... What was your plans then? What, what do you think? Well, what am I going to do now? No, don't think like that. Okay, I ne never, never did, never, never did think like that. It was uh, <sighs> playing drums only ever been a hobby. You know, you you know that. It's, yeah, yeah, of course. I didn't really, I didn't really care. No, I didn't. Really, I mean, you know, if you want to sum me up, it, the whole thing about playing drums is someone once said to me, "What would you?" Do? If you'd known you were going to get that good, what would you have done? I said, I'd have practised more. And it's as simple as that. I never really took it that seriously. It was only ever a hobby. If it's not fun, you shouldn't do it. No, I agree. It, well, has, but, well, it has to be fun. Getting there is part and parcel of it. That is not yeah. always fun. But that's no one's fault. Yeah. But when you're, when you're doing what, you think you love if you don't enjoy it 
go home and let someone else take your place who does love what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, but, but you two, um, I'm going to bring Simon in here because you two, I mean, you two practice, when, in the early days, you practice more than anyone. I mean, you, you just... Who, who, well, well, both you, of us should talk about, or, or me. Well, you, both of you. Yeah, yeah. Both of you rehearse relentlessly in the early days. I mean, Simon, you used to hire the school, didn't you, Raiden? Because your father was... No, the youth club. Sorry, the youth, youth club. I yeah, yeah. The Apollo Youth Centre. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Apollo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Played there. And, uh, yeah. They did an assembly there for yeah, the school. Most drummers, most drummers or most musicians, they wouldn't put them hours in. But you two did. And that just tells me everything I need to know about Right, OK. Well, situation. it's because I think some of it is because, you know, just what, from what Tim has already said, it's because we kind of love what we do. So it's yeah, not yeah. really, you know. Yeah, of course. And you want to get. I mean, I always want to get better because well, yeah, yeah. there's always something to learn. Yeah, of course. You know, so I, I still practice a lot now because I need to. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Do you practice uh, from a fitness point of view? Both, really. Yeah. Because it's a workout, as yeah, we know. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Just for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, especially in the rock situation. Yeah. You know, I mean, used to. I mean, the. Going back to when we used to do the blonde, I, mean, I was fortunate to you came with us to start off. Tim, we had that mm-hmm. idea in uh, Randolph. Yeah, we did. We and then the next minute we're on this massive stage in Brentwood with Pixie Lot and Human League, and thought, "Wow, this idea for yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of beers in the Randolph is yeah. all of a sudden was in front of ten thousand people." And then when you decided to to do other things, and then Simon came in, you know, that, I mean that. That was just, the evolution was, well, to be fair, when Simon started, when you finished, that was a seamless, absolutely seamless. Well, that's what you do. Uh, yeah, you, you, you two say that, and you, but that isn't always the case with other people. You couldn't tell the join. That's, that's, that's a bit like Dunny's wig. You can't see where the join is. Because there isn't one. <laughs> well, yes. yes. Yes, well, yes. It's, it's, there just isn't one. It's no, just completely it's, bald. No, it's, uh, <laughs> same as me. <laughs> uh, That's that like gorilla thing. But they, yeah, uh, yeah they. Uh, when it, the the playing the the playing side and what you want to do with it, uh, it's the the drive that makes you want to do it that badly. It's terrible, when, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> and it's and it's and it, yes, sometimes it's it's an itch you can't scratch. Yeah, cool. And other times it's a terrible burden to carry because you want to be as good as you always were. Yeah, I don't care now. I am the drummer that I always was, and I know more and I learn more not through playing drums, just through listening to music and being around it. Yes, but. So I'm, it's quite a workout for Simon, but how how long is your set? Uh, it's an hour and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. So I was out on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. So I drive myself to the gig, and I play for an hour. I have twenty minutes off. I play for three quarters of an hour. I have twenty minutes off, and I play for another three quarters of an hour. Wow. That's and then I pack my gear away, and I drive home, and I put fifty quid's worth of diesel in the car. And I got 90 quid. So I've made 40 quid on the gig because the club can't afford to pay you. 
yeah, yeah. because their their bills have gone through the roof and no buggers going out. All right, diesel's gone up. How much? Goodness only knows. All mm-hmm. expenses on your car, and if you want a gig, we're only a three piece band. Yeah, yeah, and, then, yeah. and we're expected to go out for three hundred quid, and we're now on less than we were two and a half years ago. Well, that's now that's uh, nobody's fault. I'm not. I'm not blaming anybody for that. But if you don't enjoy it, yes, you right. are in trouble. Yeah, when yeah, you then, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I yeah. then realised that leading up to uh, that, I was churning it out a bit. I felt I was doing it for the sake of it, right? And I'd lost my way a little bit. Well, I think that happens to all of us at some yeah. point. Now, I was, I was. It wasn't the playing that I wasn't enjoying. It was the everything else that went with it. Oh, well, I've found that. So, so I couldn't. You suffer that for the love of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the time, and I found I couldn't. So yeah. this is long. This is nothing to do with pandemics. That was nobody's fault. I'm not blaming anyone for that, of course. But all of a sudden, I felt as though I was churning it out, and it was taking away. May as we when we first started talking, what makes you that l- slightly bit different, or that slightly people know that you're sound, or they like playing with you, or all of that, then you lose that if you're not happy. Yeah. And that's when you have to have the guts to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Because someone can do it better than you. Well, I absolutely enjoyed that episode. What about you, Simon? Yeah, very informative. Um, it's, it's lovely to hear these stories. I mean, Tim's done a lot of stuff. I've known the guy for a lot of years and I've always admired his playing. So he's a fantastic player. And, uh, you know, he's got a great work ethic. So, it's really good to have him in. Yeah, it is. And it, and it's great to hear his stories from, you know, when he started. I mean, I didn't know anything about the Thames television and stuff like that. So this proves the point of our podcast. We know Tim, but we don't know Tim. Exactly. There's always so much more to know. Absolutely. So it's very informative. So it's our uh, final bit tonight. So we'd like to say thank you very much. And we'd also like to say thank you to our producer, Mr. Mark Dunn, for helping okay. us with the recording and setting up and everything. Thank you, Dunny. Yeah, fantastic. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me too. Bye. Oh, Rockers Podcast.